This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. This episode is sponsored by Risk IQ. There are so many researchers and analysts that I know and trust that use Risk IQ's platform. Not to mention I have personally leaned on Risk IQ while leading threat intelligence capabilities in my career. Risk IQ has been crawling and absorbing the internet so practitioners can leverage that data during investigations and research. If you want to learn more about Risk IQ, visit riskiq.com or jump down into the information below in the show notes. Coming off the very popular Hacker Valley Blue, we now go over to the other side of that coin. This is Hacker Valley Red. This season's all about the offensive side. And in this episode, Ron and I talk about our experiences with the offensive side of cybersecurity. We talk a little bit about what to look forward to and the questions we're going to be asking these experts. Without further ado, let's get right to the show. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. We just finished Hacker Valley Blue. And today we're switching gears and introducing the first ever season of Hacker Valley Red. I'm so excited for this season. It's going to be epic. Last season was tremendous. We had people binging it. Somebody even reached out and said they binged it four times in like less than a week. <laughs> it was incredible. And this season is just as exciting, if not more so. Absolutely. We've brought in the experts. We are still going strong with kind of highlighting the background and the personas of cybersecurity, but we really get to touch and learn some more specifics about how the technology works, how the hack happens, and what are some of the opportunities out here in the red team industry. And we talk a little bit of the misconceptions from the blue side or people that are a little afraid of that word hacker, right? We talk about right. what red actually can do for organizations and what the, the path of somebody in the red side looks like. So with that being said, we have already learned a lot from this season that is going to all be coming out now. So if you're listening to this episode, you can go ahead and listen to all of the other episodes. But Let's talk a little bit about what our background is with red teaming. Yeah, with red teaming, I, I feel like for me, I've always been a student from the side of almost like a, a voyeur. I, I'm looking at what has happened over time. I'm almost looking at it from the, the mind of a, a museum curator. What are the big components that I need to understand from a threat perspective to both fuel my intelligence or fuel my operations from a cybersecurity standpoint. But really, I've been so fascinated with the red side. I started out, you know, getting my certified ethical hacker certification. You know, that really got me exposed to the terminologies of the red side. And then I went on to taking pen testing with Backtrack. That's now called pen testing with Kali Linux. For those of you that don't know what Backtrack is. Uh, way back. <laughs> way back. But I've always found it fascinating. I, I love understanding the, the actions and the methodologies and the intent of those attackers and where they're coming from. And so I've used that knowledge 
not only because it was just cool to learn about that stuff, but also it fueled my knowledge when I would do my intelligence analysis. Really understanding what the quote unquote enemy does really helps when you're in a combat scenario. You know, for me, I'm a son of mentoring and kind of red teaming and pen testing. When I first got my start in cybersecurity, I was around a lot of pen testers and was picking up a lot of terms from them and kind of how they were doing things and why they were doing things. And that's really what I thought I would be doing long term. I, I never knew I would like security architecture so much, but I started my career actually doing offensive ops. I was working at Booz Allen Hamilton and my goal as a network analyst was to understand networks and information about them in efforts to break into them. So I got a lot of exposure on how to do recon, how to do an assessment of a device, and really understand how software is running on an operating system and even in memory. So I've had an opportunity to break into some things and do analysis, but this season specifically really opened my eyes to some of the things that we're still exposed to as individuals that attackers can take advantage of. And in one of the episodes, we bring on a guest and we talk about some of the social engineering parts of red teaming and pen testing. It's a really incredible part of the community. I love the social engineering aspect. And what's really interesting about the social engineering aspect is that there are people components and technical components to social engineering. Like those phishing emails, that's a brand of social engineering. And I really loved diving deep into the the social aspect of the red side of the house. And, you know, what's interesting is that's also one of the things I've always been fascinated about is also the the social engineering aspect. So, you know, I became good friends with with Chris Hadnagy. We've had him on the show. He's good friends of the show. And we've, you know, talked to different social engineers across the board. We've even talked to some folks that were on the physical side of, of pen testing. They're not in this season, unfortunately, but we've had folks like Deviant Olaf on the episode, and he does it from a physical standpoint. I think there's just this 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 interest in hacking and tinkering that makes people so fascinated by the red side of the house because you start to look at every challenge as a puzzle. And that's what's really interesting, at least for me, is is getting to the puzzle, like figuring out and solving. That's how I got into lockpicking. And when I actually used to teach lockpicking at, at Sands and used to teach it at black hat and things like that is because I was fascinated with puzzles and I loved showing people how to do that stuff. And even when we taught, you know, General Alexander on on how to do pick locks and things like that when we were at Ironet, like that stuff is fascinating. Just watching people tackle this puzzle and the look on their face when they finally get it, it's just unbelievable. And I bet you this is echoed throughout all the aspects of the red side of the house. Exactly. And one of the things that we always like to ask our guests is a question about what other aspects of life or technology help you with red teaming? What has helped you with, you know, your concepts and understanding of red teaming? And has it been learning about lock picking or has there been other fundamentals that you've learned over time that has really helped you understand and communicate with some of our guests and ultimately some of the people that you work with? I think I really understand the red side of the house in analogies. Like I remember one of the first articles I ever wrote 
in cybersecurity was this article about what is the, the chain of events look like for a hack. And it goes from that reconnaissance, right? And I, I talk about the computer as being someone's house. And what you would do is you would do recon. You might look up Google Maps, see how you would actually get to the house. You might even show up, do a little bit more active reconnaissance. You know, you're actually like going, you're looking around the house, seeing how many windows are open, how many doors are there. And then maybe you start to, to tinker, see if you can pick the lock. And so now you're getting into the active exploitation side of things. And when you finally get in, oh man, there's an alarm going off. That might be some type of active defense that someone has on their computer. And if you did your social engineering right, maybe you have the pin code and you can actually like deactivate that alarm system. And then once you're done getting whatever you need, maybe you're taking something away from the house. Maybe you're setting up a listener because you just want to kind of spy, do a little espionage. But you want to make sure that you leave something so that you can get back. So that's a, a back door, right? You either make your own key or you leave a hole in, you know, behind a couch so you can get in and out without having to go through that whole thing again. So really like understanding the, the analogies behind the red side is how I've been able to really capture it and maintain it in my own brain. What about you? That's a good analogy because <laughs> as you're describing that, you're actually describing, you know, many kill chains. You're talking about yeah recon and then exploitation. It's a, it's a nice analogy. For me, the way that I really am able to understand concepts and be able to communicate them somewhat intelligently, at least, is by really understanding software. Like when I see how an exploit works, I can kind of relate to it in the form of how software works. So for example, if I know that there is a improper check, maybe you're looking to see if one number is greater than the other, but mm -hmm. for some odd reason, you're comparing something that's not a number. So I've been able to look at source code and be like, hmm, okay, based off of this code, there's so many open source projects, based off of this code, I can see where the vulnerability exists. And I see how the red team was able to take advantage of this vulnerability or this flaw in how an application works. You know, one of the first things that I remember when I moved out to California is I I was like, all right, I'm going to be hanging out with Ron a lot more. I'm going to look in, and see all the content he's been creating. And one of the most amazing videos I've ever seen from cybersecurity was your video on exploitation and writing your first exploit. I thought it was such a phenomenal video. I'd love to hear a little bit about like what was the the motivation to actually make that? And what were some of the, the key tenants for that video? That's a great question. So <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know, there was also another gentleman that we were living with. His name is Marco Figueroa, and he's actually a guest on this season. But we had a challenge going back and forth. My challenge for Marco was to do Python for 30 days. His challenge for me was to drop a video every single week. He's like, you have a lot of knowledge. You need to put it back out there. I want you to create a video every single week. So I gave it a shot and I was like, you know, I know these concepts on defense, but it's always a little more interesting when you flip it on its head and talk about the attack first and then talk about how to defend against it. So 
kind of got the inspiration from that. I knew a lot about networking. There were some CVEs on this exploit. And I was like, hmm, you know, I, I really understand software. So if this is based off of an open source piece of software and there's a CVE out for it, I should be able to look at the code, understand it, and rewrite an exploit that might not exist. And that's how I got started. It was a nice experiment and challenge. But, you know, if there's a CVE out there and there's a lot of details in it, you could, and this is how a lot of Android attackers do it, people that pen test Android applications, they'll get the source code, they'll decompile it, and then they'll try to reverse engineer it. Maybe it's obfuscated, maybe it's not. But if you have the source code, you're really close to crafting an exploit if you know where the vulnerability exists. That's amazing. I, I'm so glad you put that video out. One thing that I, I like to think about when I think about anything red, maybe it's pen testing, maybe it's chaos engineering, maybe it's red teaming, maybe it's even purple teaming, is really that iterative improvement of your security posture. Because it, sure, it's cool to break things and, and kind of solve that puzzle, but really how is it moving the needle for an organization? How is it moving the needle for the blue side of the house? And it's really testing, really testing what you can do from a security posture perspective. That's why you bring folks in to say, okay, we've done what we think we can do. See if you can actually beat us. And sometimes they're going to find those holes. And when you find those holes, think of it as a way to improve. Think of a way to you adjust those controls. You, you fix things, you fix configurations, you start to, to batten down the hatch, so to speak. And so I really think that in order to really get that continuous improvement train rolling is you have to incorporate some type of red teaming. When you're working with clients and things like that, do you think there are more people that are enlisting the help of a red type agency, bringing red teamers in that aren't a part of the organization? Do you think more people are doing more of the in-house, they have a red teamer? Or do you think people are doing a little bit more of the, the red teaming through uh, atomic testing with like an application or something like that? From my experience and what I've worked mostly with is organizations going two routes. And I mainly work with enterprise, large organizations that have a security staff, more than two people. And these organizations, they take two approaches from my experience. They'll have an outside organization come in and pen test their applications, but they'll often also have a red teamer on staff. And this is red teamer. They'll have very different requirements than the pen tester. The red teamer often is kind of an extension of the sock from some of the red teams that I've seen recently, mm -hmm. they don't necessarily work hand in hand with the SOC, but they do collaborate. They do talk about tools. They do talk about weaknesses within the environment. And the outside pen tester is more of a consultant. They're there to find if there's any obvious points. They're not there to help you with your hygiene per se, but they're there to test your applications, test the perimeter, and sometimes even physical pen tests. I think you bring up an, an interesting point that you, you kind of even danced around it a little bit. And that's what is the difference between a pen tester and a red teamer? Because this is something that if, if you've been on Twitter for any amount of time and you're an InfoSec, you've seen the discussions, you've seen the arguments. From my perspective, and please nobody come at me, if, if, you, have, <laughs> if, if, if you have some enlightenment for me, I will gladly take it. Don't 
don't burn me at the stake. But the way I kind of look at it is pen testing is you're looking at maybe a specific application and you're looking at all the, the ways that someone could actually affect that application. So you're looking for everything. And for the red team side, you're looking for one route to the objective. You might be, you know, doing some phishing in order to get credentials. You might be, you know, looking for that one single vector to get that that action or objective accomplished. And so that's how I kind of look at at the the difference between pen testing and red teaming. W- would you agree with that, or do you have a different take on it? I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. And what I was describing is somewhat along the lines of that. You know, like right. they're doing some type of mission. They're there to test a specific deficiency or something that might be looked at as something that's working well. They're there to kind of set out on a mission, work on the details with their stakeholders, and then iterate, find something new, go on a different mission. But they're kind of a more of a permanent extension. The pen tester is more transient from what I've seen. Mm, interesting. But I love all of the aspects of the red side of the house. And but you really it's really the communication, kind of like we talked about for the last season. Communication is huge. Having red talk to blue and understand what their mission is and what they're trying to do and how they're trying to help and figure out why you're on the same team. Because I feel like folks get into this this dichotomy of like red is always against blue and and blues versus red, but Really, it's all the same team, and it's just how they approach the mission is, that's different. And you want that diversity. You want that diversity of thought in your cybersecurity program because what you have is this iterative loop, kind of like I was talking about earlier, of blue trying to batten down the hatch and fix all the holes that the red team is finding, and then it gets a little bit tougher for the red team. Every time, it's a little bit tougher. And you want to make sure that you're fixing all those holes that the red team finds, because if they just find all these holes and you do nothing about it, you really just wasted an engagement. And so really like using that information to make things better. So every single time it's a little tougher for that red team. And then ultimately you become such a hard target that you're going to have folks that try to attack your network and they're just going to say, this is just way too much work. We're going to go to somebody else. So I have to ask. You've done a full purple team engagement and you've kind of worked on and looked at both sides. You've been an attacker and you've also been a defender and you know a lot about threat intelligence. One of the most informed people that I know. Is it easier to go from blue to red or red to blue? Like what are the best individuals that you've worked with when it comes to working with the purple team? So in my experience, and I think it really can go both ways. It really depends on how your mind works. But I've really seen awesome defenders that came from the red side because they think, how would I have done this on the red side? And now what are these these resources and applications and solutions that I can use to block this stuff? And even as someone on the red side, you're constantly running into issues. And, oh, they have this enabled. Oh, they're using this service pack. Oh, they're using this operating system. So you're constantly running into all these things that cause you fits. So then you can easily translate that over to what do we need to enable? What do we need to configure? What do we need to bring into the environment to make things a little bit easier on ourselves and a lot harder for the opposition? What do you think? You know, for me, I I would agree. And I think that there's, you know, a small other advantage another team member might have, and that's a software engineer. I think software engineers and 
those that are already working on the red side of the house are going to have a huge advantage of kind of looking at the defensive goals rather than the other way around. Right. Yep. One thing that uh, I, I love the fact that you bring up purple teaming because purple teaming is really where you kind of get everything all together. When I did my purple team engagement, threat intelligence set the context. What is the the types of attacks and the threat vectors that APT or, you know, high level crime syndicate would use to get something that's critical to our operations or our crown jewels. And you use that to set the context. And you might tell the red team like, hey, these are the things that we are concerned about. Is this something that you can emulate on the network? And then on the blue side, that's what you're trying to close down because you want to emulate the things that are going to keep you up at night. Who are the groups that you are most concerned about? And you're trying to understand what are those behaviors because you can always update your indicators of compromise and you can block IPs at the firewall, sure. But really you want to work your way up that pyramid of pain, right? You want to get to the point where you're blocking complete vectors, complete behavioral vectors on your network so then, oh, you know, this is pretty much locked down. They're not going to be able to use this. They're going to have to come up with something creative. And this gets to the point where we kind of talk about this question is something is something actually unhackable can an, yes. an, or even in the future, could anything ever be unhackable? And, and I'd like to ask you that question right now, Ron, <laughs> is there such thing as an unhackable device? There is not such thing of, as an unhackable device. There is, I think, deterrence. And that's 100%. what a lot of our guests have really described. Like you can't necessarily make something unhackable because there's always going to be a way, even if it's unplugged, even if you bury it, you know, there's batteries that we put within <laughs> electronic, <laughs> electronic right. components. Yep. And, you know, there's always a way to turn it on. So I think the only thing that I can conceive as, I can perceive as unhackable is something that is really not worth it. <laughs> right. Something that no one would want ever. But I mean, exactly. It, but but technically, if you're saying this is unhackable because no one wants it, someone's then going to want to hack it because <laughs> <laughs> someone said it was unhackable. But I completely exactly. agree. You know, we talked to a few times about this deterministic behaviors of applications and solutions and even your network. So like really understanding like what things are supposed to do, what they can and cannot do. And that's really how you build certain aspects of that solution, that service, that application, in order for it to be a little less hackable. But nothing is completely unhackable. I think, I think that's famous last words for any application if you say something's unhackable. Well, you know, I, I've been asking the guests. You asked me, so I'm going to flip it back on you. What does unhackable look like to you? What's the closest thing that you can kind of think of today? So this is going to sound completely out there because it doesn't even exist yet. But I've seen theories of quantum computing that really make things very difficult for folks that are trying to break things like encryption and stuff like that. Because if you look at the theory behind what quantum computing can do is that it can break a lot of these encryptions that we hold so near and dear to our hearts. And spoiler alert for anyone out there that does watch the show, 
But within Silicon Valley, towards the end of the entire series, they actually start to break encryption on an unbelievable level. And that's because they're using, you know, artificial intelligence. And I, I don't know if they use quantum computing or not. But if you look at artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and you're kind of and you kind of combine the two to a degree where it's breaking everything that you can create. I think you could turn it on its head and try to make something that's even more defensible, something that's even harder to break. But that's the rub, right? Because you have something that can build it within quantum computing, then you have something that could potentially break it. So exactly. even then, <laughs> even then it's tough, but you can make things a lot tougher. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine after not only this season, but taking all of the experience that we've seen, we've seen Windows release, you know, things like DEP to prevent people from exploiting code on your device and all of the enhancements with even Linux. Like there's always going to be something. There's going to be these creative solutions. And I think the most interesting part about hacking is it doesn't even have to deal with the specific application or device itself. It could be dealing with the human, getting information out of people that you didn't authenticate with completely. Giving someone saying, hey, I'm Chris Cochran. I'm here to pick up a rug that I ordered. And they're like, hey, the rug was sent three months ago. And then getting your address and saying, where'd you send it to? You right. can ask someone like that and get their address. Mm -hmm. It's just fascinating to see also the human element of hacking and taking control of people's minds to get the information out. A hundred percent. I feel like that even if you look at some of the guests that are going to be on this season, they are tinkerers at their core and they not only tinker with technology, but they tinker with other things like content development. Maybe they're tinkering with speaking. Maybe they're even doing things like bug bounty. Maybe they're trying to make their way because we, we even bring on Alex Rice, who is one of the founders of HackerOne. And he talks about the the beginnings of this, you know, security research community and how much it's grown over just a short amount of time. So really, that's even hacking a community, right? So thinking about all the things that you can hack. And in fact, when we talk about Hacker Valley Studio and, and how much it's grown so quickly, there's a lot of tinkering that we're, we're doing on a daily basis, just trying to make it that much better. Every day, we're trying to get a little bit better just so that by the end of the year, we've gotten a lot better. And so that mentality is, I think, what makes for a great red teamer. 100%. What <laughs> can everyone expect out of this season? What are, what are your key takeaways and things that you're looking forward to most sharing with our listeners? I really want to understand what the issue is between blue and red and why sometimes we're not on the same page and what are some of the ways that we can fix that stuff. The other thing I want to know about is this, this concept of hacker. I think a lot of people look at hacker as something that's negative, but we think it's something that's positive. We even double down and bet that, you know, by putting hacker in the name of not only our podcast, but our company that we have to change that perception of what a hacker is. And there's a lot of movement on what a hacker actually looks like and things like that on Twitter. But I, those are the two things that I'm really looking forward to. What about you? What I'm looking forward to most, not only with asking people, what does an unhackable device look like? <laughs> but I'm interested to hear the perspective of the paths to 
get started and really to achieve mastery. Mm. We had some guests come on that came of a background of software engineering. They really understood coding, the application. And then we have some guests from this season who really just understand the creative process. They don't even have a degree in technology, but they understand how things work on a conceptual level. And they're able to break down devices, people, and applications to get the information that they want. That's fantastic. What's one thing that you want everyone to learn during this season? What everyone can learn and take away from this season is creation is a process. Attacking and breaking into things is a process. And the best red teamers, the the best pen testers, they learn to love this process. And I think that's something that all of our listeners are going to learn from our guests when they listen to this season. That's awesome. One thing that I hope that people take away from this season is the fact that we are all really one team. I know people try to bucket it in the blue versus red and things like that, but really we are all doing the same stuff. We are really trying to get to the goal and that's to make our organizations, our people, our communities that much safer on the internet. And that's nothing to sneeze at. And so I think that by getting that communication, like we were talking about, by talking about the issues, talking about how do we fix things, talking about how do we make ourselves more secure and getting that conversation rolling is how we're going to move the needle and push everybody forward in cybersecurity. And so that's one thing that I really hope that folks take away from it. Well, let's let the listeners get to the rest of the season. (laughs) It's been a true pleasure, you know, doing this episode with you, Chris, and special thanks to all of our guests, along with our sponsor for this season, Risk IQ. Absolutely. What an amazing team. We really couldn't do it without them. But I am so excited for this season. Definitely skip on over to the next episode and we hope you enjoy. 